Welcome to More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is defined by more than your job title. I'm Rabia, an IT project manager, comedian, nonprofit volunteer, and sometimes activist. Every week, I'll chat with a guest about pursuing passions outside of work or creating meaningful opportunities inside the workplace. As you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to do the same. Here we go. Hello from California. I'm still in the States, still enjoying time with my family and just honestly enjoying being out of the cold. I'm not a big sunshine person, to be honest with you. So people are asking, are you enjoying the sun? And I'm like, not really because I can get burned more easily, (laughs) but I'm enjoying that it's sunny outside and just nice out and that the day is like about 45 minutes longer here in California than it would be in London. But it's also pretty stressful because I've been used to, and I don't know if people are dealing with this, but I was used to just kind of my kind of isolated lifestyle. (laughs) And now I'm doing my best to be present with everyone. And it's tricky because I have the podcast and school and work and all the things that are okay when it's just me. But the minute stuff started opening in London, it became tougher and now it's tougher here. So just a heads up, I am going to be taking a couple of weeks off of the podcast coming up at the end of the year. And in the spirit of more than work and in the spirit of this episode too, where my guest Bob Wheeler will talk a little bit about balance. I think it's important to enjoy what we're doing and do what we enjoy, but also know when we need a break. And so I'm doing fine, but I am going to take a break and I'm encouraging everybody else too, as obligations change with the holidays and stuff to do that. And if you hear from me and I ask you if you've listened to this episode or any episode and you haven't, just say, no, I've been busy. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, so this episode's cool. Bob Wheeler's the CFO at the Comedy Store, which I hope to perform at one day in my comedy career. Hope to be doing it long enough and to be good enough to do that. And so Bob's on the show and we're talking a lot about his business and podcast. And he does a lot of work around stigma with money and emotions around money that could resonate with some people listening. I I think it will. It definitely did with me. And I definitely understand a lot of what he was talking about. And then we also talk a little bit about comedy and that was a lot of fun to do and really educational. And we talk about Mitzi Shore, which if you listen to WTF with Mark Marin, or you listen to me or follow me on Twitter, you probably know I love (laughs) Mark Marin. And he talks about Mitzi Shore a lot on that show, or he used to because of his work at the comedy store. And it was just cool to have someone talk about her on my podcast. And also just awesome to always hear about her because she seems like she was this really strong, powerful woman. And I was glad to have that subject talked about on my podcast. So I thanked Bob during the show, but I'll thank him again for doing that just because it was, it was special for me. And it was nice just as someone who is doing comedy to hear a little bit about her. I am doing a gig. I might as well announce that in case anyone in Los Angeles is listening. I'm doing a gig on the 18th of December at Tau Comedy Studio. So that's exciting. And I'm also going to a gig. I'm seeing Mark Marin at Largo. So that's awesome. So I'm just excited about some comedy stuff coming up. And then I'm going to do a gig in San Diego with some friends. So pretty cool to have some stuff going on here in Southern California while I'm seeing family and taking a break. But I think I'll leave it at that. So enjoy this episode. It's fun. We have a good time. And I really just love talking to Bob. 
All right. Well, welcome back, everyone. This week, my guest is Bob Wheeler. He's a financial expert and motivator, a book author, and founder of The Money Nerve. How's it going? It's going great. It's going great. You got it right. Nerve, not nerd. <laughs> I know. I know. And I've been listening to your podcast, and I just I hear you saying that, and it, it cracks me up every time. <laughs> I'm both. I, I get on people's nerve, and I'm a nerd. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being here, Bob. Where am I talking to you from? I am calling in from West Los Angeles. Nice. And it's it's actually a little overcast. We we might actually it might drop into the seventies. Wow, it's really getting <laughs> it's really getting to that bad weather there. It's really getting bad. <laughs> we had some sprinkles. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, not like here in London where I've now gotten used to the rain and I'm kind of disturbed when I see sun. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna have to reacclimate to the U.S. pretty soon. <laughs> Yeah. So we can actually start with your podcast and then work back from there, I think, because I've been listening to it. Your podcast is Money You Should Ask. So what's your podcast about? So our podcast is about money and emotions. And the whole premise of everything that I'm doing really is to start these conversations about money to really help remove the stigma of shame around financial literacy And to let people know that they're not alone, because that is the other big piece I get is people feel very isolated. Nobody's running around saying, oh, my God, I just filed bankruptcy. You should see my credit card debt. It's amazing. Right. We don't share that stuff. And Mm -hmm. I have a lot of clients that are incredibly successful, you know, multi-millions, whatever. And they still are basic people who have shame around having too much or not enough or being Mm -hmm. worthy. And so the podcast, I, I, I love talking with people and really digging in, learning about their childhood. You were the, you the rich kid. Were you the kid on the free lunch program? Did you have access to books? Like, mm-hmm. what was your story and how were you socialized as a kid? And then how have you carried that into your adulthood? And, and where are we making unconscious financial decisions mm-hmm. daily, 100 times a day? Yeah. And that's true. The people who are successful, they'll sometimes share about their money, right? Right. Either you'll see it or they'll tell you, oh, I have this much. I have friends like that who say, oh, I saved this much money or my parents gave me the down payment or for whatever. And I'm like, that's cool. I'm still paying my student loans and there's no down payment, although I'm not going to buy anything anyway. And that's kind of like at 42, me deciding not to purchase something is shameful in a way or having credit card debt or whatever. And so I like how you do get people just to open up about that. Yeah, well, it's so important. There's no, there's no right or wrong. So for some people, renting is exactly what people need to be doing. Some people that want to be able to have freedom or move around and owning a house is going to keep you stuck. Or as, you know, rich dad, poor dad would say, it's, it's a liability when you've got a house because there's lots of debt there. If, if, you need access to cash. You may not be able to get it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's again, it's not that it's a right or wrong. It's what works best for you. What works best for me? And I am I okay with it? Yeah. Your podcast, though, is it kind of complementary to your book, The Money Nerve? Because I understand that's about the emotions too, right? Absolutely. So I think they're they're similar in that we're talking about money and emotions and unconscious decisions, intentionality, and all of that. The podcast is more really just talking to people about gender bias, about economics, and like all these different places and really getting people's personal stories where they mm-hmm. like share vulnerable stuff. 
in the book, it's more about how do I start to get healthy with my relationship with money? How do I start looking at what I say, what I do? What, how do I look at my money history and, and, and then bring it into the present? And so the book is more a tool of how to get healthy and get conscious mm-hmm. around our money blocks and our money beliefs. And the podcast is just letting you hear lots of other people going through stuff that you thought you were the only one doing. And, and so I really think they complement each other because it's being able to see it in real time with people who are, some of the people are like really, really successful on paper. Right. Mm-hmm. And they'll share some just really crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact is too, I guess, once you get to a point where you can admit you're unhealthy in that and financially anyway, then you can go and say, okay, and I can fix it. Because I think what happens to a lot of people And I'll just speak from personal experience. You get in this overwhelming debt where you start to like do that whole transfer balances to different credit (laughs) cards. That's horrendous. It's horrible. You know? And And it's exhausting. Yeah. It's like, I'm not tracking that. You know, I have spreadsheets for for my stage time and spreadsheets for vacations. I'm not going to have spreadsheets about when I need to balance transfer things. It's awful. You know, it's terrible. And then you just want to bury your head. It's exhausting. And I, Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, for me, because I had the street cred of being a CPA and everybody had this expectation, there was embarrassment for me when I was first starting out. I was not managing my money. Well, I could tell everybody else what to do. And then I would not follow my own advice because I had a story. Well, there's an exception. There's an exception. Well, the reason is, and, (laughs) and like everybody else. And so being able to talk about that stuff, when I had a client one time say, you must be so ashamed of me. You must be really like disappointed. Mm. You probably want to drop me. And I said, the only reason I can sit here and give you compassion and empathy is because I've been there. I have done so many things so completely wrong that I'm able to actually be able to help you because I can, I, because I've been there, not because mm-hmm. I did it perfect. And I'm not interested in people that do it perfect uh, because they're lying. <laughs> Just lying. <laughs> it's like, show me the receipts. You yeah. Know? Yeah, exactly. Well, and so then you just said you're a CPA and right now you're also CFO at the comedy store professionally are definitely bona fide in money management for corporations or entities. But what made you decide to go and write the book and to focus on individuals when you could just be fine doing what you're doing? Doing what I'm doing and just pretend like it was all perfect and I just did it all right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Here's a couple things. One, when I started working with my clients and they were going out and doing exactly the opposite of what I thought was really sound practical advice, right? They would go out and just completely do something different. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, you know, but when I was seven, I'm like, okay, wait, whoa. So my tax appointment started turning into therapy sessions. And mm. I thought, wow, if I can't understand where they're coming from, I can't really give them any advice because they're not going to listen, right? Because yeah. we all know better. We all know what we should be doing. We're just not doing it. So the question is Why? And so that became really important to me at the same time, because I did have the street cred as being a CPA, even though I was completely messing up my own financial life because I wanted to be a stand-up comic and I wanted to do these other things. I wanted to save the world and all this stuff. And, you know, you just don't get paid for that. And so I had to look at my own personal journey and some beliefs and blocks that I had because I was making really good money. Yeah. And I didn't have any, but I had to trace back. My parents got divorced. And when I was in like eighth grade, ninth grade, and my mom said, 
whether it was joking, whether whatever, like I took it on. She said, you know, you have to be really rich and successful so that your siblings and I can have the life we deserve. I have four mm. siblings. And I said, F that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not taking care of all of you. So I will purposely make sure that I empty my bank account. So when you ask for money, I can go, I don't have any. Mm. Instead of actually just setting a boundary, it was easier to yeah. just drain the accounts. And so looking at all that and, and realizing how many people struggled, I started doing some workshops and what happened with writing the book, I was actually at the comedy store in the main room during the day one time, and a friend came in, and she was uh, crying. And she's a comic. She's a well-known comic now. And I said, what's up? And she said, well, I just came from my family, who are all doctors. Mm. And everybody just shamed me into my choice of being a comic. And she wasn't known at the time. And I just said, you know you don't want to be all those people you think you do because they don't have their finances together any more than you do. And she's like, what? I'm like, most people are just presenting really well and you're just being honest. And she couldn't believe that. And I said, you know what? We got to start having these conversations. Mm -hmm. When you see stuff on social media, it's just a snapshot, right? Yeah. And, and we don't know everything. It's just like when you see a picture of an iceberg, you're only seeing the tip there's so yeah. much underneath that we're not seeing or understanding. And we're just looking and making a snap judgment from that. And, and so for me, it just felt really important to start providing a safe space where people could just share what was true without judgment and really just start to work through it. And just hearing that too, because sometimes I'll sit here and go, oh, I wish I had pursued something else, but I ended up doing a career, even though I actually have this side of me that's creative and just wasn't even something I considered because I was so afraid of not having money for yeah. so long. That's one. There are two reasons. That's one of them. But then it turns out, yeah, I was making good money, but living in New York City, which means you don't have anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the more you make in New York, the more you spend. That's it. And yeah, and you know, I can understand feeling that way and just kind of feeling judged by people. Like, well, you're doing well. So therefore, I assume you have a bunch of money too. Right. You know? That's right. a weird one. Yeah. And, you know, and what's doing well? I know people that are incredibly happy that live off of $24,000 a year in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And 24000 is a good year for them. And I'm thinking, what? Uh -huh. <laughs> like, yeah. In, in a year? <laughs> like, right? I'm spoiled <laughs> rotten now. But let me tell you, there were times when I was probably making 24000 in a year. Yeah. I remember my first job, the first one I got a salary and it was 33,000 a year. And I thought I was just, wow, I've really made it, you know? And then I found out, well, that was a weird one. Cindy found out the guys who got hired that same year got about a know, little bit more, a little bit more, you know, that was, more. you found that out later, but <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. so that's interesting. And also you do have an online course, mastering the emotions of money, right? Mm -hmm. So how's, that work for people. Yeah. So that again is, it's really, that takes the book and puts it on steroids. You know, it's mm -hmm. really digs in and really challenges you to really start looking at that stuff. You know, one of my clients said, you know what, your, my therapist loves you <laughs> because <laughs> I'm doing two or three sessions per chapter. Jeez, there was so much stuff. And, and that's the thing. We don't realize how much financial trauma, let alone just any trauma that we're carrying deep in our bones. And mm -hmm. so going through the mastering the emotions really helps to start giving us the tools to say, Oh, I could draw a boundary. Mm -hmm. I could say no. 
learn how to role play and, and actually find the ways to start to actually move ahead. Does it mean you're going to get there overnight? No, you didn't get into debt overnight. You're not going to get out overnight more than likely, but at least you can start taking the steps moving towards financial freedom. And it actually can happen a lot quicker. I've seen it happen for people when they really set that intention, mm -hmm. but you got to be aware of your beliefs that, tell you that's not possible for me. Everybody else could do the course, but me, everybody else could do these 20 things and they would be amazed. not for me. Right. Yeah. And then we have to change that mindset. Well, when we look at our mental health that way. And I think it, what you're saying reminds me a lot of Brene Brown in a way. But oh yeah, absolutely. She, I love you know, her. How she, me too. And it's, and she's so great and she's helped a lot of people, including myself, understand boundaries from an emotional perspective but financially, it's very different because depending on who you are and what position you are in your family, you'll either feel like kind of what you said, you'll, it'll be put on you somehow that you are supposed to take care of anyone, everyone, or you'll think you're supposed to just because that's where you that's where you were in the lineup. Or right. you'll think, well, I can never I'll never have any savings anyway, so I will just spend because or, you know, the gratification people get. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons, but People look at mental health and physical health in these ways, but not really financial health. Absolutely. I, well, you know, it's so interesting. I hear so many stories on the podcast in private where, you know, mom and dad give you a piggy bank and you're going to save. And then mom and dad rob your piggy bank daily <laughs> or monthly. And yeah. all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, that doesn't work. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, well, there's no point in saving because somebody's going to come and take it. And then, so all these things start to happen when we're little. I mean, my parents mm -hmm. were terrible with money. Mm -hmm. And it was only later in life when my dad sort of got fired from one job and got into a different sort of career that he started making money. It wasn't because he was smarter about money. You know, he one time he was like, well, you know, now that I make a lot of money, I'm like, dude, you got lucky. Like, <laughs> you didn't do anything different. <laughs> You're yeah, still operating the same. And I think that's like, so we, until we can start to get aware of that, that there is all this financial trauma as kids, you lost mm -hmm. the milk money, you're stupid. You know, I want a puppy yeah. for Christmas, you're greedy. Oh, yeah. my God, right. And, and it, it hits us hard when we're four, mm -hmm. five and six. Yeah, for sure. And, and then you're operating that way when you're older. I mean, the whole thing about the inner child work and stuff, you can quickly find out where some of your money attitudes oh, come from <laughs> well absolutely because we never updated the software and you know we're still operating on dos so looking at all this though and how you've kind of diversified what you're doing what i want to talk to you a little bit about is having a position of a cfo and then having a position of a cpa with private clients and then having the podcast and having the course how do you feel like all that kind of helps you with balance even though you're doing a lot of stuff it seems like maybe you do get some joy out of a certain part of it that's kind of helping overall. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting. Some people say, oh my God, you work so much. And I would actually say, well, I just follow a lot of my passions. Mm -hmm. It's not work for me because I enjoy it. So when I'm sitting with clients and doing tax sessions and I'm helping people tax strategies, like all that kind of stuff, I love it. I love figuring out where we can push the envelope and save some money here and like, <laughs> moving parts because I work with entrepreneurs and complicated tax structure. And that's fun to me. Like it's a game and I could just get caught up in that sometimes because yeah. I love those mind games of, Oh, we could do this and this and Oh, that, that does work. Right. And so that's fun. Managing staff and all this stuff is a pain in the ass, which is why I brought <laughs> in a partner 
And she's amazing. Yeah. She handles the staff. She deals with all that stuff. And I get to deal with the clients, which is where I have fun. In terms of CFO, the comedy store, you know, I first got involved with the comedy store because I was doing stand-up comedy. I was mm-hmm. running a show there and I get a call from Mitzi and she's like, Bob, this is Mitzi Shore and you got to help me. We're having trouble. I'm like, oh my God, I just want to be a comic. And uh, they had all these payroll tax liens. They were about to close the doors. And again, because I was a CPA, yeah. the banks, I was able to get a loan and say, look, I have this whole business plan. And where we're, I didn't have a business plan, but <laughs> because I was a CPA, they believe me. Right. Yeah. And so I, for me, being the CFO, it was more important about keeping all three rooms open because the store was struggling when mm-hmm. I got there. And it's, 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 you know, it's gone up and down. Even when it's thrived, that is not because of me. But I'm just saying, yeah. you know, I was able to help it in some really lean times to get through the other times so other people could come in and bring in their expertise. But, you know, I just, Mitzi was an amazing woman. And I think she was in a world where everybody was against her. You know, she would say, at comedy clubs, it's a man's world, and they're all out to get me. I was like, Mitzi, you're paranoid. She wasn't paranoid. No. I, she, at all. I, I had an experience, <laughs> and I came back, and I went, Mitzi, I'm completely wrong. You're completely right. She's like, I told you. I'm like, I will never question you again. You are the master. But getting to work with her was just, like, such a privilege. I got to travel with her, and she, she just trusted herself. You know what I mean? She was fearless, or at least she showed that she was fearless, even if inside she was terrified. She did not, like, she didn't care. And if somebody says something, she's like, well, then get out. Or I'll cut the, I'll cut, I'll end the contract. What's going to cut? I don't care. Like, she was just that confident. It was an amazing woman, amazing woman. So for me, those two things were great. And then bringing in the emotion and the therapeutic piece just felt natural after years in therapy from all the damage. No, that's why it's good to have parents that love, you know, love you and abuse you mentally because you, you know, you help the system down the line. <laughs> Otherwise I would have just been a quiet, boring person just going, ah, so, you know, thank you mom and dad, but with lots of love, I don't, I don't, I don't blame them. Yeah. I mean, now. it's good. It's, <laughs> no, well, no, you, I mean, you spend a year working on just that alone, that <laughs> <Yeah>. alone. <laughs> like, it only took not- me a year. That's amazing. Well, I'm still, <laughs> I think I'm still no, working on that one. No, no. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you just kind of, you know, you spend time on it. I think any, I don't Someone I talked to this week, and I don't know which order the episodes will be on. We were talking about therapy also. It's just come up a lot lately for whatever reason. And I do think that going through therapy does give you the ability to be more compassionate to other people. I mean, that's Absolutely. one of the big benefits, even if it's not, even the people go, I don't need therapy. Well, you need compassion. I can tell you that. Absolutely. So, get it some way. You know? I totally agree. I, you know, I think what happens is, and for many of us uh, is that we don't do therapy and we just have our own experience. And so everybody else must have the same shared experience. Mm-hmm. For me, traveling was a great way to see that the whole rest of the world did not live like me. What? Everybody doesn't have hot water. Everybody yeah. doesn't have like, the choice of 22 grocery stores with thousands of options and 87 kinds of bread, right? You just get bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's no like, Oh, I only need like the, the lowland goat milk with uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's so ridiculous how over the top we are. You know, I yeah. want my coffee stirred by little Thai butterflies that have, <laughs> you know, silked and silkworm, silkworms, like whatever. It's so over the top. Yeah. Yeah. Other people are like, I'll be happy with a cup of water in a Mm -hmm. dirty cup. Right. And so traveling for me, but therapy, I think it's, I always go into a kicking and screaming, 
right? Mm-hmm. But when I come out on the other side, I'm so much better for it. And and that's what I love about Brene Brown is because she she's done the research. So I could talk, you know, touchy feely, but she's done the research and she's gone into it kicking and screaming. And mm-hmm. so I love that this piece about the more vulnerable we are, actually the more connected we are, which completely mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense, but it actually is true. Yeah. Well, the one for me, I agree 100% because I think just normalizing vulnerability has made it a lot easier, even for me to, at work, to address something. Like sometimes if I'm feeling bad, I'm able to tell my boss. Now, he probably would prefer I didn't do that, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but at least I can because at least then I can explain how I'm feeling and then alter what's going on. Rather than, yeah. but like five or 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do that. I probably just would have had an attitude, probably almost quit for some stupid thing or whatever. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's good. Well, so looking at you doing comedy and then you getting this call, which I think to have Mitzi Shore discussed on my podcast is awesome, first of all. So thank you, Bob. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I feel like, like Marin Jr. now, finally. But looking at, doing stand-up and you were already a CPA at the time. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So did you start doing stand-up after your, that or were you doing stand-up before and then you also so found your career? I was doing accounting first and okay. I was taking classes and sketch comedy and improv. And yeah. some friends of mine said, you know, Bob, you've been doing classes for about two or three years. When are you <laughs> going to get off your ass and go actually <laughs> perform in public? I was like, well, you know, I will one day. And yeah. actually what happened was I went out and I auditioned for this sketch troupe called Acme Comedy Theater, which is sort of like uh, the Groundlings. And I auditioned and they let me in. I was like, oh, my God, these people are so messed up. Damn it. I was trying to get out of having to perform. Why did they <laughs> pick me? Damn it. So I got in and I did that and that was great. And then I decided I didn't want to share the stage anymore. Right. Like sketch <laughs> is great because if you have a terrible sketch, you can go. It was the other two. Like right. well, I was brilliant, yeah. but they suck. But when you get to stand up, or you can blame the audience, but usually it's you. Yeah. And you know, stand up was really great for me because in real life, you know, I had to be the good boy. I was quiet, and but in stand up, I could say really mean things and then just go kidding. <laughs> like <laughs> I would never do that, but I would, but I wouldn't, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so it was a great place for me to sort of have my th- free therapy, and for as for a lot of comics, and mm-hmm. so I started doing the comedy, and it. That's where I really felt a lot of passion and pleasure. I think for me, what's interesting, and I've only shared this a few times and I'm getting more comfortable sharing it. It's been interesting as I got more confident in my comedy and Mm -hmm. actually was getting people looking at me, there was a place I panicked a little bit Mm -hmm. and I thought, wait a minute. Oh, people are starting to look at me. What if something actually happens? What if they actually book me for a show, like a TV show or something? Uh, the accounting's a lot safer. I just have to talk to numbers and occasionally talk to a person. And I could find where I would self-sabotage a little bit when I would start to really get some visibility. I would sort of go hide for a bit, mm. you know? And and I think partly, too, you know, my mom was an artist, never made any money, so financially terrible. And I thought, I don't want to live financially struggling. Like I just don't want to do that. I grew up in a big family. My parents did not have a lot of money, five kids. We weren't, we weren't like the poorest, but we did not. And like, we didn't starve, but we had our electricity turned off many times and cooked marshmallows and hot dogs in the fireplace for dinner, (laughs) which is why I always like to make sure my house has a fireplace, but like (laughs) I have to cook hot dogs. And, you know, so I think it, it was real back and forth because I didn't have the confidence of like, 
of who I was that if I actually succeeded, that I could actually stand and tolerate all the attention. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, I mean, part of that's a whole imposter syndrome thing too. And like, do I deserve to be here? And even at, at my level where it's just an open micer more or less. And I even demean myself there because I have gotten paid a couple times and it has been, you know, fun. I know that feeling of just, almost like, well, maybe I shouldn't be funny tonight because if they laugh too much, then I get it. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, because if they laugh too much, then maybe I don't want to do a new joke because that old joke worked. Right. So if I knew it and then I'm not going to grow because I'm so busy, like, wait, this joke worked. Never do another joke. Right. Like there's nothing better than 500 people just laughing. You know, and you're like, hey, oh, my God, he's brilliant. You know, BCD. <laughs> Like, oh my God, like some nights is just that good, right? You're just like, I don't know. But my mantra going on stage and even when I was doing commercials and stuff, because I worked with this, what was Kip? I can't remember his last name, but he, he was the dad of uh, Chris Catan from Saturday Night Live. And, and he would say, you got to have a mantra. And so mm-hmm. my mantra was always, I don't know what works. Like, I don't know what works. So that I would take the pressure off because I never knew. Oh, like yeah. I would go out and people are like, you're so funny. I'm like, really? Like, I like what, what specifically? Like. Could you like? Could you help me? Like, you know. So I knew I had something, but I didn't know. What, like, when you're mm-hmm. doing comedy, sometimes you're just in the moment. You can do things or make faces, and it's not like some people are very specific. I will move my left arm and tilt my elbow, and I'll get a laugh. I'm like, mm, yeah, I'm not that yeah. good. <laughs> like, I'm just gonna be like, I'm gonna just throw it out there and be me, a mess. And so it was. That was my mantra. I don't know what works, and it just took the pressure off of trying to be perfect or meeting an expectation. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that in general, that's a good mantra, right? Because sometimes you're going to go into a situation and yeah, if you add all these expectations to it, then the chances of disappointment are greater. I mean, that's the bottom bottom line, really. Yeah, it what keeps you humble. Yeah. Right, because the minute I know what works, oh, I don't. Yeah, totally. Well, I know a couple of people who do comedy listen to this. So I'm just going to ask you something like I would like to ask someone who's done it more than me. I have a career. I'm in marketing now and in IT, but then I do comedy because that's really what I love. And like, I like the right for me, the writing part's the fun part and just kind of having this line through things that don't seem related and then doing it on stage. And the biggest compliment I've gotten actually for me was, Oh, you're very organized. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of like hilarious, better, but organized. I was like, thank you so much. They're like, yeah, your set was just really organized. I was like, thank you. You know? And I mean, they laugh too, but that was good. But do you, did you ever go and look at it and say, God, I'm spending all this time doing this. I'm not making a dime at one point, you know, when you're doing the, the early on stuff and am I wasting my time? Cause for me, sometimes some nights it's hard for me to leave the flat and go do it. Cause I know I'm going to be gone for six hours for a five minute set. But then on the other hand, like when I get home, I go, yeah, I, I wish I would have never been anywhere else but but there for that six hours, right? Yeah, I. so for me, yes, I would have loved to have been on an allowance while I was, was doing comedy. You know, that would have been nice. Or just have, you know, wealthy patrons just give me money so that I could pursue it. But <laughs> I, I never regretted all the time that I spent because I, I love – I love going up. I love making people laugh. Mm-hmm. Have there been a couple times I almost pooped my pants because I was terrified? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, really big crowds are a real big expectation. But mm-hmm. it was also cool. I remember I was doing a show at the Improv and it was Judy Carter was having all of her class people. You know, she was having her students do a show and it was a packed house. And so it's still a packed house. 
And they just weren't laughing at anybody. Like they just were not laughing. And so she had brought me in to just sort of like help spice up the room a little bit. And, you know, what I had learned was when there's really bad energy is you walk out of the room and come back in with new energy. Like I'm just Mm going to bring a new energy from outside. Right. And I just brought in this new energy. I walked up and I just started like, I just was committed. I was going to make these people have a good time. And it really shifted the energy of the room. And, you know, her and Diane Nichols are like, wow, that like really shifted everything. And she said, like, your, your humor is very macabre, you know, it's, it's a bit dark. (laughs) And, uh, but it shifted the whole energy and being able to like see that shift and literally feel the whole room turn and Mm -hmm. be Oh yeah, we're here for comedy and we're here to laugh and yeah. and then enjoy the rest of the show. People are like, "Thank you," you know. And then sometimes you're the one that takes the hit, right? Yeah, and, and yeah. Like, ah, this is a joy. Yeah, I went after someone <laughs> the other week, and there was no way, and no one redeemed it. It was just kind of like, well, we're all trying really hard, but they just didn't. I don't know what they thought they were there for a funeral or something. I'm pretty sure. Like, yeah, I don't know what these guys were <laughs> coming. Oh to my see. god. But never turn on the audience, right? Don't make no. it about them. Like what I've done is when somebody really good if goes up in front of me and I'm slightly intimidated, I'm just like, oh my God, give it up for them. Give it up. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. All right. Now let's really lower the expectations. <laughs> like, yeah, let's exactly. Bring it down to zero. Not that. <laughs> you know, and yeah. usually that's enough to shift it, give them enough accolades and really then go and we're moving into a different chapter. Not mm-hmm. quite as exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. In other jobs, you wouldn't, turn on your customer or like I've been a project manager for years. I wouldn't have a bad like review from the client and then say, Oh, well it's all of them or, Oh, it's you guys and see how quick we lose the account. You can't do that. So I I agree. It's, it's for me, I always treat it kind of like a job. I mean, it's, you know, and I think some people don't and that's fine, but (laughs) yeah, you know, but it's like, I love all of it. Even, even the, you know, I, so the first year or so went really, really well for me. Like I would go places and, and it would just work. And I got into this yeah. competition and which I hate competitions, but probably cause I'm, you know, trauma, traumatized from this experience. But anyway, I went up and did it and they told him, you know, it needed to be squeaky clean Disney stuff. And I had all my Disney stuff and very clean. And I was the only, I was the only white comic mm-hmm. and it was not my people and everybody else. There were three male comics that went before me and believe me, they went so dark and dirty and filthy. And then I'm like Disneyland. Yeah. And the audience went, we hate you. We hate you. Go die. And I was like, Oh my God, this was like 32 hours and you know, incredibly painful. And after mm-hmm. that, I would go some places and I would tell a joke and people just look at me and go, are you a mortician? Like, are you trying to kill everybody? What's going on here? And it was so painful. You know, there's this one comic. She'd go, you must have a really good tape. Cause I always see you everywhere. I'm like, Oh, and I'm funny sometimes <laughs> lady. And it was painful. Right. But I just yeah. kept getting up. I kept getting up. And yeah. then one day after about six or seven months of pure hell, I was in a coffee shop and I started telling a couple jokes and it just started hitting and maybe there were 15 20 people mm. but afterwards people were like dude where have you been i'm like hiding in my pain but thank you but you know but like it was worth pushing through because yeah. then after that it didn't matter like you know you could throw things at me as long as it wasn't a knife and like i'd be good yeah it but i don't regret any of it but it was quite painful yeah oh for sure yeah it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting one to pursue but i think What's nice is the people who don't do comedy seem to have a lot of respect for anyone who does, which is kind of yeah. 
cool. You know, and I agree with it. Well, thanks for sharing about that, just because that's yeah. something niche that you could talk about that not everyone who's on could talk about. So do, did we not cover anything that you would want to cover? Yeah, listen, you know, I think for me, you know, you talk about um, like the balance and all those things. For me, it's following your passion. Whatever you're doing, whether it's work, whether it's a hobby, whether it's a side gig, like, am I having fun? Like, mm-hmm. am I enjoying this? Because if I'm not having fun, if I'm not happy for most of the time, I don't expect, you know, happiness and, and singing animals all the time. But like, if I'm not enjoying it, like I'm out, whatever it is. And so for me, some people will say, wow, I work a lot, but I'm not. I just have so many things I want to do. And I only have so many hours in a day, just like everybody else. And so I get my rest in, I get my vacations, but like, I want to show up in a way, me personally, I want to have impact. Yeah. Like I'll own that. And I think most of us do. Most of us just secretly, I had so much shame about saying, I want to have impact. Like I want to make the world a better place. And I hope everybody else out there does too. And so find the balance, but do what nourishes and feeds your soul because life is not promised. Tomorrow is not promised. Show up in the best way possible and go for it. So that that's what I would say is like, enjoy what you're doing because there are so many people that don't have that opportunity and some people just never get to live their lives. It's really, it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, thanks. That's great. And I normally ask, do you have any advice? But I think that we've got it. So that's perfect. I have a set of questions called the fun five. Okay, cool. You have a it's similar to the fast kind of, five, but I love the exactly, fun five. Beautiful. Exactly. So mine are fun. Yours are fast and still fun. <laughs> still fun too. So if you want to make these fast, that's fine. All right. So what's the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear? Oh my God. I have a t-shirt that is probably about 30 years old and it's from, it's got a picture of the sun and a friend of mine got it like this uh, solstice concert and it's just the coolest thing. And so I still wear it. And even though it's like slowly flying apart, so I pick and choose when I wear it mm-hmm. uh, cause I can't figure out how to fix the little holes that are starting to form. And I just, I just refuse to give it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's 30 years old. Ugh. Awesome. That's great. Okay, cool. And that's that's good because a lot of people threw stuff away during the pandemic and it's been really unfortunate for this question, to be honest. Yeah. Uh. All right. So if every day was really Groundhog's Day, like people felt for a while, what song would you have your alarm clock set to play? What would it be? It would probably be, this would be really dark, maybe Mad World. <laughs> <laughs> that's not very happy. Now, let me pick a better song. I guess it would be maybe Manic Monday. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, that's one at least. And if you just shut it off soon enough, you won't get sick of it all the time. Exactly. All right. Coffee or tea or neither? Coffee. I love both, but coffee. coffee. How do you take your coffee? A little bit of half and half and a little bit of a teaspoon of sugar. And I like it strong. Yeah. Cool. Can you think of a time and this, you probably have many times that you laugh so hard, you cried, or just something that always makes you laugh when you think about it, just from the memory? Probably my other siblings' pain. We we used to just terrorize each other. And like, I would sit, like I would sneak into the bathroom and sit for hours waiting for my older sister to go into the bathroom. (laughs) Just when she thought it was safe, I would jump out of the closet and go, (laughs) she was like ceiling and we still to this day laugh about that stuff it just we did we were we tortured each other and we got lots of pleasure out of it 
and <laughs> we didn't hate each other because it was that was part of the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. I mean, siblings. There's this thing that you have with no one else besides yeah. them. Yeah. Okay, and last one. Who inspires you right now? Who inspires me? Well, I would actually, you know, we talked about Brene Brown. I think mm-hmm. she's probably somebody right now that I really resonate with. I, I just, I, I love what she's bringing. And, mm-hmm. and I think she really helps me get out there. Jeff Brown would be another person who does a lot of writing from a psychological point. Those are the kind of people that ex- inspire me, people that are talking about their emotions, because I used to pretend like I had zero. Mm-hmm. And I still like, ah, yeah, if I had them, I would feel that, but I don't. But yeah, so people that are helping me to tap into my expression of emotions inspire me. Cool. Great. And then if people want to find you, I'll have a bunch of links in the show notes and everything, cool. but just for you to tell people where you'd like them to go first. Yeah, absolutely. So the money nerve N E R V E not nerd, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The money nerve, we've got resources. We've got the online course access and links to the, to the, the podcast, uh, the book and all that stuff. And, you know, we love people to reach out and, and share their stories or just if they've got a struggle or they're feeling alone, reach out. I've got an amazing staff and like, we're really here to, like be a space where people can, can reach out and express whatever's going on. Super. Well, Bob, it's been great to chat with you. Thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. It's been a real pleasure. And I hope, hope your listeners uh, got something to take away from this. Thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about the guest in the show notes and at RobbieAssad.com. Joe Mafia created the music just for this podcast. Find him on Spotify. That's Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. And Rob Metke is responsible for our visual design. You can find him online by searching for Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Thanks, Rob. Let me know who you'd like to hear from or about your own experiences defining yourself outside of work. Follow at More Than Work Pod or send a message on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Or visit our website, morethanworkpod.com. Give us a follow on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review if you like. Thanks for listening to More Than Work. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm.